Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel, and in this podcast, we are going to talk about the backstory and also about um, the idea of non-combat task resolution um, in my hack, we're going to call it a game that I'm building that's based on the chainmail chassis that is going to be a sword and sorcery uh, type game. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that and how I plan on doing this. Again, these these the series uh, that I've been putting out now, I'm kind of like throwing out my general like rough ideas on these things to get some feedback, and then I'm kind of tightening this all this up. So uh, you'll get kind of my raw thoughts on how I think I'm going to do this, and I definitely would love to hear what people think. Um, after that, we've got some calls about this uh, system, this hack, uh, from Joe Richter, from Hindsightless, and from Jason of the R- Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Um, other people have been calling in for other things. I'm going to try to do like a call-in episode uh, coming up soon that will just handle that. My my plan is to, on these uh, chainmail, um, chainmail sword and sorcery podcasts, I plan on only running, or primarily running the messages that are about it on this. That way, uh, if somebody comes back and just wants to learn about the system, they don't, they're not listening to a bunch of other stuff that doesn't necessarily connect it. So I know that uh, a few other people called in um, and I will uh, do like a long, long ish call in episode uh, coming up soon. Uh, but right now I'm just going to focus on uh, the chainmail hack and calls that are specifically about it you know, in this particular podcast you're hearing today. So if I'm not playing your message, it's not because I'm not going to. It is because I, uh, I'm i trying to separate things out, maybe organize them a bit better. So we will see how that works out and how long that works. But in any case, let's get into backstories. Okay, so in sword and sorcery novels and short stories, etc., of course there's lots and lots of fighting, right? <laughs> That's the sword part. And there's magical spells, and strange demons and things that you want to face. But not every task is accomplished via the sword or spell. There are climbing of the climbing of towers, the bending of bars, the the navigating of the seas, the uh, negotiating, which would probably be role play anyways, um, and various other types of aspects of the game that might be something that you want to have some kind of randomization for, or, uh, you know, a sense of, uh, okay, if the if failure happens, this is at cost, right? Or if success happens, uh, you gain something. So how do we determine if our hero succeeds? This is kind of the next chunk of this uh, game I'm working on. So some kind of basic tax resolution system needs to be created. But before I get into that, because I have a couple ideas there, I'm going to talk about backstories. <laughs> this is often a uh, interesting subject to talk about. Um, I have on the record in my kind of standard OSR or D&D type games to not be a big fan of having uh, long backstories or you know intricate details of what happened in the past of the, the character. Um, I usually like a simple background. Uh, so that's my kind of general stance. But in this game, you aren't starting off as a first-level nobody building your way up in the world. You are a hero. So there's something about you that is special. Now, I don't, definitely don't think, I mean, obviously people can play the game however they want. I don't think that a long backstory is ever going to be needed in this type of thing. When we encounter Conan 
uh, or many of these people, we get little bits of their past as things go on, but we have a general idea, right? Perhaps they were raised in the, the snowy mountains uh, as a barbarian, you know, in a tribe of uh, ironworking, uh, you know, men that, that made swords or whatever, right? Or herded sheep, or perhaps they were uh, apprenticed to a wizard and, and uh, something happened there, or these kind of things, you know, it could be any, any number of things. I don't think this needs to necessarily be in-depth. And again, you can play this out however you want because different tables are going to want to do different things. But what we will need is some kind of a background that will help us establish what tasks the hero should be able to accomplish easily, which ones might be more difficult, and which ones might be near impossible for them. So if I take a character who... Uh, has been, let's say, raised in the, the frozen north, uh, you know, in a, in a village or whatever, uh, they might have the ability to, let's say, uh, build a fire in almost any situation. Building a fire for them will be very easy. Even in a terrible situation where, let's say, it's raining or it's really snow or there's not a lot of wood around, they would have the ability to find the resources to build a fire because clearly if you live in the frozen north, you're going to be good at building fires, right? You're also going to uh, be good probably at trapping, and hunting, you'll be good at, uh, you know, uh, stripping the fur off animals to build, uh, you know, clothing. Uh, you, you might be good at navigation via the stars, uh, you know, this kind of thing, right? And you might also be somewhat resistant if we do anything in a saving throw type matter to, let's say, some kind of cold, right? If you get put in a situation where it's really cold. If you were, if you, if you, if you were a, a pirate, <laughs> we're pirates a lot, um, you know, you probably know how to do all the different various different things on a ship, including sailing it, maybe navigating again via the stars or in the, over, the, over the long distance of the sea, right? Knowing how to uh, to locate fresh water on islands that you that you come upon, um, tying knots, climbing really well, right? These are these are the skills. Uh, maybe even predicting the weather on some level. These are things pirates would be good at, right? Uh, not to say that you couldn't. Uh, you know, do find food and this kind of stuff, but maybe that's not your specialty. Okay, so how do we do this without making a big clunky backstory that I don't think we really need, although it would not be a problem uh, in this game because your hero is predicted, hopefully, to live for a while. And I think the way that we do this is we do bullet points. You know, each character should have a description of, each player should have a description of their, their character, their hero, right? This description should include what the hero looks like. You know, they're tall and, and, and muscular and, and, you know, dark black hair and striking blue eyes, right? Uh, they are, you know, short and, and, and thin, but muscular and, and, and uh, you know, lean. Um, they are whatever, right? Uh, they, they could be, uh, you know, female, they could be male, they could be whatever you, whatever you like. How do they look? What is, the, what is their bearing? Um, like I just watched a, a movie, um, where the, the main character was, a she was a, uh, a daughter of a chieftain who got murdered and she was taken away, you know, and, and basically kept by, uh, some of the, the loyalists who, who then rises through the, basically the ranks through fighting and stuff to, to become, you know, the, the, the queen, uh, essentially of the area. And that's exactly it. Right. So she, you know, she knew how to ride horses. She knew how to shoot a bow. She knew how to navigate through the desert type lands because that's where they were from. These are the things that she would know because of her background, right? This is what we want. We want a, a short, probably I would imagine like three sentences about what your character generally looks like, 
what their background is in the sense of like you know broad sweeping strokes and possibly some kind of goal uh it doesn't have to be i mean many of these heroes and these stories are just seeking adventure and that's 100 percent fine as well so we can have something out there right uh depending on what you do with your referee i mean depending on the type of campaign you run it you literally could be oh i want to eventually take back my kingdom that's kind of cool right um and <laughs> again people have heard me say on other podcasts that i'm kind of opposed to those things that's because I'm, I'm almost opposed to them in a general D&D campaign where you have a whole group of player characters who are traveling together where one person's backstory is so specific that it could draw the entire campaign in that direction, which maybe isn't uh, fair Sorry, uh, to the other group or take, take away. Um, so that, that's why I'm generally not a fan of that. That's like a whole other story, but a whole other conversation, which I'm not going to have here. Um, but I think in this case, because each hero will be their own thing, generally when you are running uh, these heroes, you're going to be, uh, you know, even if you have multiple player, players at the table, one or possibly two heroes will be the focus of any particular adventure. So it's okay. The, the, the player that's playing the bunch of henchmen, they don't need a backstory. They're just there to basically roll dice and have fun with, the, with their friends. The player that's the hero needs that backstory because they're leading the way. Okay, so that's my... My justification for that backstories on some level are important here. Uh, I don't know. I'll call it backstory. Um, could be background, might be origin, something to that effect. But I'm thinking something to the effect of three sentences that define your character. And they can be mechanical, you know, and they should end up having some mechanical effect. Like I was part of a, uh, you know, horse raiders in the uh, the steps, you know, to the, to the, to the, uh, in the tundra, right? So now we know, right? Cold. We know horses. We know you're a raider, so so you're probably, um, you know, have some kind of scheming ability, or maybe you've, you've you have some kind of information about uh, scouting, right? That could help you if you want to use rules like that. Okay. So, anyways, how do we handle task resolution? So, looking at the chainmail rules, which I'm kind of hacking apart and rebuilding for myself, uh, especially the the troop combat, which I'm going to start calling abstracted combat. You essentially compare a type of fighter, so let's say a light foot, so you have a dagger, let's say, against the type of armor that you're going to fight. Let's say you're going against either light, heavy, or armored, right? So you've got this um, this comparison that you make, and then you roll a number of dice per man. You know, and that indicates man in this case, of course, is human, right? The, the bodies, essentially. Always keeping in mind that the hero is equivalent to four. So if we take this system and we say, okay, we replace the the uh, the weapon, if you will, with the uh, likelihood that the hero would be skilled in this. So um, you take very skilled, which would be the equivalent of armored, uh, right, foot. You take, you know, set something that's right up your alley, right? You are a pirate and you are going to sail a boat, right? That's very much, or tie a knot, right? That's very much up your alley. You're going to be able to climb that knot. You're going to climb a mast uh, on the ship. Um, and again, you probably wouldn't roll for that kind of stuff normally unless you're under, you know, under duress, but let's say you're under duress. Um, so the pirate would, would take the most highest ranking thing, which would be, would, would be expert. And then replacing heavy foot as far as the, uh, the attack mode would be skilled. So something that you, you probably are skilled at, but aren't necessarily an expert in. Like most heroes are going to be at the very least skilled, uh, horsemen, like riding a horse. Whereas, like, somebody from the steps that, that, you know, grew up in the saddle is going to be an expert. 
And then you've got unskilled. So that would be stuff like that you wouldn't, let's say that you are um, trying to uh, interpret ancient runes and you have no background in that at all. Your character might not even be able to read that well. Um, or maybe you are from the uh, city and you are plopped in the middle of the forest and you need to navigate your way out. That would be unskilled. So that would be the equivalent of attacking as Lightfoot. And then you would set your task difficulty as easy, okay, uh, medium and hard, let's say. So somebody with, and if you look at the, the troop uh, combat charts, which you can get in my free document, um, or I'll just explain it. Essentially, if you're like easy, easy task um, and you're unskilled, you would roll one die per man and uh, a six is a success. And if you think about it, right, <laughs> again, your hero is equivalent of four men. So a hero for any task, even if they're, it's unskilled, is going to roll, in this case, four dice for an easy task that they're unskilled at. Now, a very difficult task that they're unskilled at, they might only roll one die, right? Because it's something like one die per three men or something like that. And of course, there are four men, which means that like your average person would never be able to do it. But the hero has a chance of doing it because of the hero, you know, and you see these heroes in these stores do all kinds of stuff they really shouldn't be able to do, right? <laughs> but the chance is going to be very low. Let's say that you're bending bars, which might be a difficult task. And, you know, you've described your character as incredibly muscular or whatever. So we count that, let's say, as skilled. So now you're going to be rolling, again, like probably one die per man with, with a six uh, being a victory, right? You're going to roll basically four dice. So you've got four chances to get that six to bend that bar. That's why the hero can bend the bar sometimes. And I guess, again, if you had like five or six people all grabbing on these bars, if there was enough space trying to bend them, you could combine your strength, which is what a normal person would have to do. But a hero has got that extra uh, advantage. So I thought about using the charts like that because it ties in and it's the same system. But then I also thought that like, I don't know if I want to, in, in the middle of gameplay, if you're going to want to like stop and look at charts when you're just trying to do a task resolution, because this is probably going to happen a lot. Um, so I did think about instead of having the charts and comparing it, you would just basically set a, a difficulty um, on a D6. So like, uh, you know, and again, you take into account the backstory. So we know that uh, for a sailor, tying a knot is going to be an easy task. So they might, you know, again, even if it's under duress, they're going to have, uh, you know, uh, two through six on a D6, they're going to succeed. And now you're rolling four dice. I mean, the hero's never going to fail that, um, you know. But if they were like unskilled at tying knots, and they'd have, they might have to roll four better on a D6. But again, you're still rolling four dice, so the hero still has a chance. And if it's kind of like a superhuman feat, something that they absolutely shouldn't be able to do, like no normal man can do, what you could do is make it that they need multiple dice. So you might need to get two sixes, uh, which means, again, an old person only rolling one die could never achieve that, but the hero rolling four dice could. So this will probably make more sense once I have a chart um, done out, but hopefully if you've looked at the other combat chart, you'll probably get the idea of what I'm talking about. So I'm a little bit torn. Again, I want feedback. Uh, part of me wants to use the same system in a way by having those charts because everything is on charts in this game. So why not have charts? <laughs> um, uh, but then again, I mean, do we really need that? I think the second version leads to, or seems more obvious that there's uh, the referee is making on the spot choices. <laughs> Honestly, they're still set of a difficulty with the other version as well. It just is a little bit of a different system. So I don't know. Do you guys think it makes sense to keep using charts for everything, even if uh, you could probably handle it with a simple D6 roll. You know, I mean, D6 roll meaning the, 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 the referee literally just picks a difficulty. 
Uh, or do you think having a chart to kind of lay that out so people understand better what the difficulty should be would make more sense? So I'm, I'm likely going to put together the charts anyways just to see how it looks. But I'm curious what people think about that. What you think about, the, you know, backstories. Do you think that it would be wise to, or would you want, I don't know if I would have this right away, but do you think in a game like this, would it be make sense to have some kind of chart that you roll on? Kind of like how in 5th edition you roll on your flaws and stuff like charts. So you could roll like, I'm a sailor, I'm a barbarian, I'm a this. Do you think that stuff's useful in a game like this? Or do you feel like with a game like this, you'd want to just make it up from whole cloth? I guess those are the uh, the questions I have as far as like how much, I don't say work, but how much I want to put into this, you know? I mean, me personally, I can think of, you know, a handful of characters. I could sit down and write up five, six characters off the top of my head because I like the sword and sorcery genre. And, uh, you know, I've, I've read a decent amount in it. But maybe people who just want to try it and don't have a lot of involvement in it might need a little bit of uh, uh, inspiration. You know, they might sit down and be like, well, I don't know what my character would be like. So it could be worthwhile to make some charts like that. And maybe I'll crowdsource that if you guys are interested in throwing out, like, backgrounds and uh and uh, attributes <laughs> and we can say you know a strong you know uh, with your oily thews you know barbarian or whatever you have to have thews in there somewhere thews are important in all sword and sorcery so i've gone on long enough about that so let me know what you think send me a voice message here and we'll continue growing this project so i talked a little bit about the idea of magic in the game and possibly playing a magic using character, which is a little bit of a controversial subject, I think, in Sword and Sorcery. It's one of the things that makes most, I think, most RPGs that say that they're low fantasy slash Sword and Sorcery not that. Because if you can play a wizard, then there's wizards, right? But then I also talked about the other idea I had about playing essentially some form of kind of a, a assassin class. So I've got some calls from Joe Richter and Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast about that subject. Yo, dude, it's your resident uh, researcher here calling in. Those ancient assassins you were talking about are the Sakari. I think that's how you pronounce it. They were Jewish assassins back in the first half of the century CE, around 50 CE, around there. Uh, they they murdered a and kidnapped a bunch of like Romans or fellow Jews who were teaming up with the Romans. They did not care for the Romans. They had a stronghold somewhere that ended up getting raided and most of them were killed. And now there's, you know, crazy conspiracies that the Sakare helped hide the true child of Jesus or that they might have had something to do with like smuggling away the Ark of the Covenant. They're pretty badass and I think it's cool. You're switching up your magic users to more like something like that. Anyway, dude, peace out. Okay, that sounds amazing and 100% what I'm looking for. Um, I did uh, read a little bit after, and I found uh, Hashishans, I think Hashishan, I think is how it's pronounced, which is, I guess, where the word came from, supposedly, or some people think. So, um, and they're like in an Islamic uh, murder cult. So, <laughs> also very interesting. Um, I love it. I, I love the I love the, the Jewish, Jewish assassins, so that sounds super cool. I'm going to do a little bit more research here and kind of combine all that together. I love this, like, uh, history mixed with... Uh, you know, adding to, to the sword and sorcery to kind of make it have this, so it feels real, but still has that mysteriousness about it. So cool. Thanks, Joe. Hey, Daniel, Jason of the Bandit Brigade here. So I think what you're looking for from the Karate Kid is kata. 
the kata is the form or the the dance, or, you know, the movements they do to practice their karate moves, and what what you see Mr. Miyagi and Daniel doing. Very interesting surprise twist. We hear all about the seer, and then, boom, we have ninjas instead. I mean, I'm a big fan of ninjas, so I'm not going to complain about ninjas. Although, what one could argue how well ninjas fit in sword and sorcery games. But, um, yeah, I think that's interesting. And I know you're not talking about actual ninja ninjas. But, I, yeah, I don't know, man. I, um, I, I need to see this w- w- when it's done and play in it and try it. But so my understanding, though, is that you're talking... You know, so you have one one player, they play a hero. Two players, they play hero, either two heroes or a hero and some hirelings, their horde. Three hero, three players, two heroes and, and a horde. And four players, then we enter the ninja. Right. I mean, as you know, I mean, as you kind of make clear, I don't mean the 1980s, uh, you know, ninja exactly. I'm talking more like assassins. Um, I was just thinking ninja because they have that kind of, uh, you know, mystery thing. Like, do they even exist? And, uh, you know, uh, purported to have magical powers kind of deal. Um, I wasn't sure what the ancient uh, assassins were purported to have as far as magical powers. But just the idea that, like, uh, people fear them because they might be using magic or maybe they aren't. You know, Um, that's kind of the vibe I was going for. By the way, as far as the seer goes... I really like the idea that if they fail, roll double ones, they go unconscious. And I really like the idea of them having just that one spell they learned. I I kind of like the idea they can learn other spells throughout their career, whether it's but whether they can only maintain one ready spell at a time is fine. But I, I like the idea they start with one spell, and that's the spell they studied and they know. Um, and I like the idea that what Chainmail does, to be honest, where, you know, a seer knows one spell and a wizard knows seven spells or whatever, right? I, I like that quite a bit. Ah, yes. So I don't know if I said this in the thing because I recorded that one several times as I was uh, changing my thoughts. But um, one thing I had kind of bounced around was the idea that if you did want to play a seer, um, you know, you could, in fact, uh, level up, if you will, like the way that the, you have the Wanderer, the Freebooter or whatever, um, by finding more spells. Because, uh, you know, as you progress through the different levels of the, the what's called Wizard and Chainmail, you have more spells, right? So if you were to be a Seer and then you somehow accumulated, I think, two more spells, I think you need three to get to the next level, which I believe is Sorcerer, I don't have it in front of me, then you would actually level up and be a Sorcerer because now you know these three spells. But <laughs> the reason why I didn't do that or wasn't... Uh, I don't think I said it earlier, or I didn't, definitely didn't put it in my document, was because I felt like what would happen was people will just go, well, you know what, I want to play a game, and I'm going to play it as a seer, and I'm going to be this magic user searching for spells, and that's fine. Again, I don't think I can tell anybody how to play a game. They're going to play the game any damn way they want, but I, I did want to make that more of like, not the focus. Because I could just see somebody picking this up and being like, oh, yeah, seer, that's what I want to be. <laughs> and then the campaign's about collecting spells, which actually is pretty cool, but maybe that's like uh, something in the appendix, right? As opposed to the main part of the the, the game. 
Because, because I, again, I do think that part of the strength of the hero character, and this is the thing that makes the hero the hero, is that they have that plot armor, right, by building themselves up. That's the one ability, besides the fact that they attack us four men and all this other awesomeness, the fact that they can actually progress through the game, they're the only ones that can progress. Um, you know, and again, you can play the game any you want. Now that I'm, like, saying this, you could start off, like, let's say that uh, you're playing, you and, you and Joe are playing, and uh, you're the hero, and Joe's playing your henchman, and he just really gets into character on one of the henchmen. You know, he's playing this henchman up like like it's, it's it's a real character and he puts a lot of personality and backstory into it. You might be like, you know what, let's break this henchman off and make him a hero. And then now this new hero is formed. So that could happen, I suppose. So, um, you know, anything can happen in an RPG. That's what makes them awesome. So those last few messages I sent you, I sent before I, you played my messages and responded to them. So obviously I have a clearer idea of what you what you're talking about with multiple players now. And yeah, I don't have any problem doing that. You, you know, the idea is switching around and this, this session I'm playing my hero next session. We're in a different location. I'm playing somebody's henchman. I'm down with that. I, I think that's interesting. I, I guess the key, what I was kind of getting at to though, till you hit that fourth player, that third or fourth player, you, you wouldn't even consider bringing, bringing in the assassin, right? Yeah, I, I think that's my plan. <laughs> you know, I mean, the best laid plans, as I say, right? But one thing that I think is kind of important to me, at least in the development of this game, and I know that people will play the game any way they want to play it, and I'm not going to try to stop them from it, nor do I think it's a bad idea. I'm all about rule zero and people changing things and house rules and this and that. But I also think that you can create a game that's kind of like a genre game and that kind of, when you're picking this game up, like, if you're picking this game up because you want to play D&D, then this is probably not the game for you. It's kind of the way that I want it to be. And I think that one of the things that makes D&D D&D, as we're going to talk about in the Auto Dungeon Discord, is this, like, uh, group of um, different types of characters formed together to create this team that can accomplish all these different things. Whereas in the sword and sorcery genre that I want to replicate, it's the hero doing their thing, right? <laughs> you know, everybody else is kind of extra. I mean, even in, I mean, there's important NPCs and stuff, but but my point being is that, like, it's not like the four guys in your band uh, of uh, adventurers going into to, to get Medusa's head are all important. I mean, three of those guys are probably getting turned to stone, you know, and the hero's going to walk away. That's generally what you're going to run into with a sword and sorcery, in my mind. So this being said, I want the hero to always be the focus, which means that I'm going to lean pretty heavily in my advice in the game to not use these other classes, whether it be the assassin or the seer, if I decide to make that available as your primary PC. Um, everybody will have a hero. Ideally, you're playing regularly enough that people will get a chance to run their hero. You know, different people will get chances. You know, it wouldn't be impossible to do a Jason and the Argonauts thing and have, you know, four heroes in the group if everybody just wanted to play a hero. I think at that point, you're going to want to really differentiate them with like, weaponry and stuff just to make it kind of more interesting and also the progression is going to be more difficult because how does each of them get different men and this and that so uh, i think four heroes together is going to make them progress slower which is not necessarily a problem but um it definitely is the case so because remember nobody else is progressing so when you uh, have your group of of uh, players and you've got your uh hero your henchman your your assassin and then you 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 know raid a camp and you pick up a bunch of horses or whatever now the hero is going to get to progress, right? The the other ones don't. But if you had two heroes, now what are, you, are you going to divide the horses up? Or are you going to, you know, so 
this can be a little bit trickier, I think. Um, not an impossible. And certainly if you think of like, again, like Farford and the Grape Mouse, or that's cool, like a, a team. But I think that, yeah, the idea would be this additional class is really just there for when there's four players and you just don't want to have three heroes because that seems to be probably not ideal. And again, I don't know that. I mean, it's probably worthwhile to try to play a couple sessions where there are three heroes or four heroes even and just see how that plays out. I mean, I feel like it'll play out pretty cool and that they'll be awesome and kick some butt, but I think progression will be slowed. And again, that's not a problem. If your table wants to all just be heroes and, and do heroic things, but I do think that at that point, why not just play D&D? &D? Because then you can have more variety in your class and, you know, in your class choices and you can add magic and this and that. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like if you're playing this, you probably want to, um, you probably want to do a mixture. And again, just like I said in the backstory part earlier in this um, podcast, you could have four heroes that are so different. You know, maybe one is, a, you know, from the steps and is an expert horseman and, and a bow, uh, an archer. Uh, another one might be, you know, a barbarian that fights with a shield and a, and a, and a heavy axe. You know, you could have a pirate uh, and you could have someone from like maybe the the, either the deserts or, or, or the jungle that, that maybe is more of a, uh, you know, fast on their feet. Uh, you know, uses maybe spears or, or um, I guess in the desert, they might also use bows or lances, you know, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I could totally javelins, like that could totally be uh, awesome, right? And you've got a mixture of four heroes and they can all work together. I just think progression will be really slowed down. And whether that is a flaw in the system or not, <laughs> I guess that depends on who you're asking. Yeah, interesting thoughts. And, and I definitely get where you're coming from with the background. Hopefully that you, you didn't not have fun playing Morgan. I look forward to if you do any kind of recap or thoughts from the session. I, I did receive your calls and, on my episode about the session recap, and I'll respond to those um, later in the week. But, yeah, it, I definitely look forward to hopefully schedules will allow me to partake in the playtest because I'm very interested in the system. I think it has a lot to offer, and like, like you say – this may be the perfect engine for sword sorcery. So definitely interested in it. Take care. Talk to you soon. Perfect engine. Did Jason just name the game? Huh? Thanks for listening. Thanks to my callers, uh, Joe and Jason. Um, if anybody has any more comments or questions about this, uh, chain mail hack, uh, go ahead and leave a message so we can discuss it as we progress further. Um, if you are interested in being part of a playtest for it, hit me up on the Audio Dungeon Discord, and we'll put together some playtests soon. Um, luckily, character creation is going to be pretty simple, <laughs> so it won't take a whole lot to, to get involved in it, and we'll probably do some short games, maybe uh, maybe two hours, something like that, just to kind of get a feel for it. Uh, mostly mechanical but some fun little adventures. So in any case, if you want to do that, hit me up on the Audio Dungeon Discord, um, and I'll talk to you soon.